All right, let's pray to Him. Father, You are worthy of our glory. Uh, David wrote, or David spoke, and it was recorded in First Chronicles 29. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor from eternity or from everlasting to everlasting. And so, Father, we worship you. We bring glory to God this morning. Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would uh, show us how to live our life in a way that my life, that our lives collectively, would bring glory to God forever. So, God, come and meet with us, uh, teach us, and we'll honor you and we'll give you glory and praise. For all that you do, for it's in the strong and mighty name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, way over in the back of the New Testament. We're going to look at a little passage of Scripture. Uh, Let me just kind of set it up or tell you a little story. Um, Last night we were sitting around, and, and I'm always trying to figure out how to start a sermon. And since it was Mother's Day, Elisa suggested that maybe I read a book, and she had a book called, I think it was Baby Llama, Llama Mama in the Red Pajama. I don't, anybody, any of you mamas read that book? And I thought about it, and she had another one about a barking dog, but I figured y'all couldn't see the pictures. So as we were talking about this, I stumbled on this little definition of barbecuing, and, it, and I'm going to share it with you in a minute, but let me kind of set it up, I guess, by saying this. A few years ago, after church on Mother's Day, well, you know how it is going out to eat after church on Mother's Day. It's usually crowded. Well, for whatever reason, we got in the habit of not going out to eat on uh, Mother's Day. I don't. I think we went to the hospital and wound up going late. But at any rate, so we kind of got in this habit. And I guess it's typically uh, my day or our day. I say our because uh, Bailey's pretty good help around the kitchen. So it's kind of our thing to try to do uh, Mother's Day. Uh, lunch uh, for my wife instead of going out to eat. And so we, that was kind of our plan for today. In fact, uh, last night, on before we ever got into this conversation about barbecuing, we'd stopped by the HEB and picked up a couple pork tenderloins. And so that's my job this afternoon is to barbecue. And so, and then as we were looking, and Elisa was talking about re- me reading these books, I found this definition of a barbecue. And so I thought I'd share it with you today in honor of our mothers. It says... It says, the definition of barbecuing, it's the only type of cooking that a real man will do. When a man volunteers to do the barbecue, the following chain of events is put into motion. The woman goes to the store. The woman fixes the salad, the vegetables, and the dessert. The woman prepares the meat for cooking, puts all the rub on it, places it on a tray along with all the necessary cooking utensils, takes it to the man who is lounging beside the grill drinking a glass of iced tea. Then the man places the meat on the grill while the woman goes back inside to set the table and to check the vegetables. In a little while, the woman comes out and tells the man the meat's burning. So the man takes the meat off the grill and hands it to the woman. She goes back inside, prepares the place, and brings them to the table. Then after eating lunch, the woman clears the table, and does the dishes. Everyone praises the man and thanks him for his cooking efforts. The man asks the woman how she enjoyed her night off. 
And upon seeing her annoyed reaction, he concludes, there's just no pleasing some women. When I read that, Elise says, yeah, that, that's right. That's it. So that's kind of, uh, maybe it doesn't work at your house that way, but pretty much that's what happens. I grill one thing and, and everything else goes on the table. But I thought I'd share that because I know that every lady, every woman, every mom um, can't wait for the man in her life for the next time he barbecues and does all that work for her. But uh, moms need a break every now and then because I know how hard you work. I know what you do and and oftentimes the lady of the house doesn't get much time off. And if she does, typically if you get a break, if your husband or your kids or a combination thereof fixes dinner uh, or something, you usually have to go back and clean up and fix up and put back everything that gets left out. And so I know that uh, sometimes you need a break. And this morning I want to read a passage of Scripture that when I read it, you're going to say this has nothing to do with Mother's Day. And you're kind of right. But it kind of does. We'll try to make the connection. Uh, But there's a reason why uh, I'm going to read this and kind of say all this. So join me there in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, why don't we begin reading in verse 3. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that when what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith... Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And the focal verse is here. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, I understand when I read that passage of Scripture, and specifically verse 7, it doesn't uh, seem to relate to Mother's Day at all. I don't know that I've ever heard Noah and Mother's Day in the same sentence. But I will tell you, I read this week in a list of Bible bloopers that somebody said that Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. So uh, that's the closest connection I've been able to make. But what I do know is that when you look at this roll call of faith, and we're just going to look at the first three, Abel was commended because his worship was special. For whatever reason, his worship was sacrificial. He, he brought an offering to God, a worship sacrifice that, that was very pleasing, that was very honorable to God. And so Abel was commended for his worship so much so that even though he's dead, the Bible says his life still speaks. And then we find uh, Enoch. And Enoch uh, is an interesting character because Enoch didn't die. In all of Scripture, there are only two people that didn't die. Enoch, and you may remember Elijah the prophet. But Enoch walked with God some 300 plus years. And the Bible says that Enoch was walking with God and then one day he was not. Because God translated him. Now, it's kind of significant about Enoch. Well, I'll say a word about that in a minute. But, but let me just say this. Enoch was commended because he walked by faith. 
Abel was commended because he worshipped by faith. And then we jump down to Noah and it says that when warned of God, by faith when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And so when we look at Noah's life, the thing that Noah's most remembered and most renowned for is how he obediently did what God commanded him to do. You might say, while Abel worshipped by faith and Enoch walked by faith, you might say about Noah that he worked by faith. In fact, if we study the scriptures carefully and closely, we'll find that probably when when he was about 480 years old, God spoke to Noah and he began to build the ark. And for 120 years, when we'll kind of look at that period maybe uh, briefly in a moment, but just think about this. For 120 years, Noah worked in faith doing what God called him to do. Now, when I think about the job of a mother, one of the things that I've discovered in my own house, one of the things that I discovered when I was a kid growing up, growing up kind of like the old saying goes, a mother's work is never done. And there's always, it just seems like at my house, my, my wife always has something else. And I'm sure at your house, uh, for you ladies who are mothers, you ladies who are not mothers, there's always more to do. It just seems like your work is never, ever done. And so when we look at Noah as a model, uh, his work, it seemed like, was never done. Now, I do have an encouraging word. If you're one of the moms that feel like your stuff is never done, uh, let me just encourage you. If you stay with it for 120 years, eventually you'll be finished, Okay. That's what we find out when we look at the life of Noah. And so I kind of want to make that connection, but in actuality, even though I'm going to talk, I'm going to slant maybe a little bit toward moms. When we look at the life of Noah, this, the principles we're going to look at this morning, they're really not just for moms, nor are they just for adults. They're for all believers. But I think when we look at this one verse, we can see three or four principles that are significantly important to our life if we're going to really matter and and do everything that God's called us to do. And so that's what I want to do. I want to make four observations this morning uh, about that, and I think they apply to every believer. And so let's just talk about those. The first thing that we would notice there in the passage is the warning. The the first thing that was significant about Noah is that he heeded the warning and... uh, If you look at verse 7, it says, By faith, uh, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark. And I want to think about that because, listen, what we know is that, that God spoke clearly to Noah. We know that God spoke compassionately to Noah. And we know that God spoke compellingly to Noah. It was very clear. It was very compelling because he acted. It was very loving because it was a message of deliverance. So we know God was clear, God was compelling, and God was compassionate. But the, the thing that's so significant about this is that God spoke a warning into his life. And when God spoke, it was a crisis moment for Noah. God said, here's what I'm about to do. I'm, I'm saddened because I've made man. Man is wicked. There's all this sin. And you can read about the whole context in Genesis. But the issue is that 
that God spoke this clear, compelling message. And when God spoke that message, Noah made a decision. God warned him, and it was a crisis moment. And what I want to share with us, what's true for me and what's true for you, whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you're grandparents, whether you're a student, whether you're, you're not even a student, you're still a child. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, even if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, this truth is so significant for you. When God speaks to you, it is a crisis moment. When God speaks to you, it is a crisis moment because you have to decide, are you going to do what God says to do or are you going to ignore it? And that when we see this, when we see this passage in that context or when we look at Noah's life in that context, what we know is that in the, in this crisis of belief, if any of you ever uh, studied the book Experiencing God, you may remember Henry Blackaby talked about the crisis of belief. Anytime God shares truth with you, anytime God speaks to you out of his word or out of circumstances or even through someone else, if God has a word to you and God says a word to you, that is a crisis of belief. In other words, what happens is when God speaks to you and when God speaks to me, we have to decide, are we going to heed the warning or not? And that's a tremendous, I mean, that, that, that's a major issue. Because I know uh, many of us are parents. And let me just say this about parenting. God's word speaks to us in a lot of different ways about parenting. And when God, when God shares out of his word to us about parenting, we have to decide what we're going to do with it. In fact, let me share a couple of verses. Proverbs, um, Proverbs 22, 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Have you ever been in a store when that happened? A child left to himself disgraces his mother or maybe his father? I was at an event. I I won't even say when it was. I won't tell you that it was this week, okay? I was at an event, and this little boy, and he was about the same age as Carly Ann, and he he was just wearing his dad out. Had this balloon sword and he was just whipping his dad with it. And I was, and I was just sitting there thinking, if, you know, if that was my kid, I would pop him. And I don't know if I would have pop, and somebody asked me, would you pop the kid or the balloon? And I don't know. But I was just sitting there thinking, you know, the Bible tells us that as a parent, we need to discipline our kids. Now the culture tells you, you shouldn't discipline your kids. Has it, have anybody read anything about bullying in school? Do y'all, anybody? Yeah, it, it's a, it's a crisis, isn't it? How many of you, anybody my age, was bullying a crisis when you were in school? It was not a crisis when I was in school. You know why? Because if somebody bullied somebody else, you know what they did? They, you went down to the principal's office and they busted your tail. And you didn't go home and tell mom and dad about it. Because if you went home and told mom and dad about it, guess what happened? They busted your tail. God says when we, a child left to himself brings disgrace to his parents. God says that folly's bound up in the heart of a child. We need to discipline him. And so as Christian parents, we've got to make a decision. Are we going to raise our kids the way the world says raise them? Or are we going to let God's word speak into our life? And so if you're a parent, that's a crisis moment. 
When God says discipline, we got to decide, are we going to do that? Now, I could, I could find all kinds of different areas. Now, some of you are saying, but I'm not a parent. Some of your students are saying, yeah, but Pastor Mike, I'm not a parent. This doesn't relate to me. Sure it does. Because God speaks into our life all the time. There's a verse, Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. When God's Word tells us that, when it says at all costs, above everything else, that I'm to guard my heart, then God speaks into my life and He says, you need to be careful what you watch. You need to be careful what you read. You need to be careful what you click on. You need to be careful who you hang around. You need to be careful what you put into your life out of the external sources of media. That is a crisis moment. When God speaks, we have to decide what we're going to do. It's not in our slideshow, but listen, turn back in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to see if I can find this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 33. I want to just talk to, to those of you that aren't parents yet and to those of us that are parents. This applies to all of us. But listen to this verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to verse 33. It says, Do not be, be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, as a student, when you read that verse, what that needs to say to you is the the people I hang around the most matter. As an adult, what that says to me is the people that I hang around with matter. The people that we spend the most of our time with matter. Don't be misled, God says, if you hang around the wrong people you're going to get corrupted. Oh, check that out. There we go. I didn't announce about the baby bottles. Why somebody dropped one here? By the way, the baby bottles are... Let me just take a time. Can we do a timeout? Let's just do this. The baby bottles are for you to put your money in for the Hope Resource Center, the Crisis Pregnancy Center. So you pick one up today on your way out. Somebody can pick that one up in just a little bit. Take them home, put your coins, your cash money. Why even says, feel free to put a check in there and then bring them back Father's Day. Okay, so that's our commercial for, but we want to help the, the, uh, the crisis pregnancy center. And see, that's a, cri- that's a crisis of belief moment. All of us, uh, probably with few exceptions, we value life and we're pro-life in, in, in this room. And a crisis of belief is if we really believe If we're really pro-life, then we ought to help those who get pregnant out of wedlock. We ought to be supportive of crisis pregnancy center. That's a perfect example. When God speaks, we are to act. And so I want to encourage you to do that. But anyway, the warning here out of the scripture, when the warning happens, when God speaks into your life and God gives you a warning, whatever it might be, you need to heed it. God says, don't be, don't hang around the wrong crowd. You'll act, you'll, you'll get in trouble. If we took a survey, I could probably hold a microphone and you could come up and say, yeah, when I was with him or when I was with her, yeah, I got, I got in trouble. Why? Because bad company corrupts good morals. My point is, when God speaks, you have to decide what you're going to do. If you know bad company corrupts good morals, you got to decide who you're going to hang out with. Some of you are here today. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You never have. You've... You, you, maybe you're here because uh, it's Mother's Day and you came with your parents or maybe you came with your kids. You've never given your life to Christ. And, and today you're going to 
have a crisis moment. You've got to decide. Because God's going to speak to your heart. In fact, he may already be speaking to your heart and say to you, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And so you've got to decide, what are you going to do? See, anytime God gives us a warning, it's a crisis moment. Now, understand, sooner or later it's going to come to pass. One of the most interesting, uh, let, let me just illustrate that for you. If you have your Bibles, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 5. Anybody, any of you remember Methuselah from the Bible? What, what is Methuselah known for? Anybody want to tell me this is not rhetorical? He's what? He's the oldest guy in the Bible, right? Now, here's what's This is so neat. And I, I want you to, if you don't believe the Bible's true, this is, this are to help you. If you don't think that when God speaks a warning, it's one day going to come true, this ought to help you. Look at chapter 5 of Genesis. It says, um, verse 21 says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. Now, we've already documented that Methuselah is the oldest man in the Bible. Do you know what the word Methuselah means? This is so interesting. The word Methuselah means when he is dead... It will come to pass. Okay? When he is dead, it will come to pass. So Methuselah was born. And then let's read on. Verse 25 says, When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. So think about that number, 187. Then if you look on down uh, to verse 28, it says, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. If you add 187 and 182 together... You get 369 years. Now, remember the word Methuselah means when he is dead, it will come to pass. Now, turn over to chapter 7, verse 6. Noah was born when Methuselah was 369 years, right? We just added up 182 and 187. Now, listen to verse 6. It says, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. All right, 600 Plus 369, I'm an Aggie, but tell you what that equals. That equals 969, right? All right, so notice, Methuselah died when he was 969 years. Now, when he was born, God gave him a name. They gave him a name that says, when he's dead, it'll come to pass. In other words, when he's dead, judgment is going to come. And 969 years later, The year he died, the flood came on the earth. And when I read, when I learned, and I've been a pastor for 20 years, nearly 18 years, and this is this week's first time I've learned that. I put all that together and uh, and just reading some stuff, and, and it just says, here's what that should say to you, and here's what that says to me. When God speaks a warning into our life, we need to heed the warning because. It's going to come to pass. One day, one day what God says will come true. One day. God conviction says you need to be saved just one day. Your life's going to be over and your opportunity to be saved is going to be gone. You just need to understand. We need to heed the warning because it's a crisis moment. So that's the the first word there that I want to talk about is the warning. God gave him a warning. And then go back to Hebrews 11 and notice what happened when God spoke a warning into his life. The Bible says there in verse 7, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark. And the second word I want us to talk about is, is worship. 
When warned about things not yet to come in holy fear, in other words, in reverence, in worship, Noah made a decision. Now, here's what happens, and let me just try to walk you and me through this process. When God gives us a warning, if we have reverence for God, it'll determine how we heed the warning or whether or not we heed the warning. Let me just say it this way. Who we worship, who you worship and who I worship, who we worship dictates how we respond when God speaks. The object, the person you worship or the God you worship determines how you respond when God speaks. The Bible says in holy fear or in reverence, Noah did what God told him to do. And so when you and I, when God gives us a crisis moment, when God speaks a warning into our life, who we worship determines uh, what we do when God speaks. Now, think about Noah. Can, can you imagine that how how awkward it would be that here you are, you're 480 years old. I can't imagine what 480 years old would be like. I can't. Even, I barely can imagine what it's like to be 50. But but 480 years old, God comes to Noah and God says, Noah, I want you to do something for me. I'm grieved in my heart that I've made man. So Noah, I want you to build an ark. I want. And so Noah says, God, what's an ark? And God says, well, it's a boat and there's going to be a flood. And Noah says, well, God, what's a flood? You got to remember, Noah probably lived in a place called Mesopotamia. It was between the Tigris and the, I don't know if that's how you pronounce that, and the Euphrates River. But it was hundreds and hundreds of miles from an ocean. He had no idea what a flood would be. And so God says, I want you to build an ark. I want you to build this big boat because the flood's going to come. Noah says, I don't know what a boat is. Don't know what a flood is. God says, well, Noah, I need to tell you, it's going to rain. And Noah says, what's rain? It had, did you know that it had never rained on the earth until the time of the flood? If you study the scriptures, if you study the first six chapters or first five chapters of Genesis, there, there was water stored in a great expanse and the earth was watered from springs below and from this great expanse, probably almost like dew. We came out of the house this morning and Carly said, Dad, did it rain last night because the car was wet? Because it was a heavy dew. And maybe that's how, but they had never seen rain. They had never seen it. And God says, no, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build this boat, a huge boat. I mean, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide or 150 feet wide, 75 feet tall. I mean, this thing's enormous. It's huge. And God says, no, I want you to build this thing because it's going to rain. And, and out of worship, out of reverence, he said, okay. Okay. You're God, I'm not. You're worthy of glory and honor and power. I'm not. God, you say do this, I'll do this. Who we worship, who you worship, and who I worship dictates how we respond when God speaks. So when God speaks to you, out of his word or through a teacher or a preacher or through a circumstantial life. When God speaks to you, how you respond to that indicates who you worship. Now, a lot of us would think, well, God's never going to ask me to do anything crazy like that. And by the way, that was crazy. That was crazy. And we automatically think, God's never going to ask me to do anything crazy. Sure he will. Have you ever looked at some of the stuff in the Bible that God asked people to do? 
I mean, in the, in the Bible, the stuff God expects of his people, it's crazy stuff. God comes, a few years later, God comes to Abraham and says, Hey, Abraham, I want you to pack up your kids and pack up your cars and get a moving van. I want you to get all your stuff together. You're moving. And Abraham says, God, where, where are we going? God says, you're just moving. You just head out. You pack it all. Get your wife, your kids, and all your stuff. And you just head out. I'll tell you when you get there. We would never do that. In fact, a lot of times God tells us to move. I want you to go here. And we say, God, I'm not interested. Later on, God promises. Remember God promised Abraham a son. When Abraham was 99 and his wife was 89, God says, I'm going to come back next year and you're going to have a boy. And, and his wife laughed. The next year, God comes back and what happened? He has a son. A few years later, what does God do? God says, Abraham, that boy I promised you is going to be the father of many nations through whom, through whom your offspring is going to be innumerable. That boy, I want you to take him. I want you to sacrifice him on the altar. God would, you, you say God would never do that? Sure he did. And all throughout scripture, remember, can, can you imagine if you were Joshua and you were the president of Israel, like Joshua was the president of Israel, they, they cross the, the, the Jordan River, they get into the land of promise, and as soon as they get there, there's this big place called Jericho, it's filled with warriors and a lot of people, and God says, okay, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. Line up the army, and I want you to walk around the city every day, once, and don't talk while you're walking. Now, on the last day, I want you to walk around it seven times. And on the seventh time, I want you to what? Shout. Can you, can you imagine what Joshua thought about that? I mean, I can just, if, if God said that to me, I'd be like, really? God, is this really, God, are you serious? Walk around the city? No weapons? Don't talk? And then when the trumpet shout and the walls are going to fall down. And that's what happened. And we see it over and over and over. I mean, it's all through the scriptures. And I know some of you are saying, yeah, but that's just the Old Testament. And that's not really how it worked in the New Testament. No, it's not just the Old Testament. I don't know if any of you were out Thursday night. In the, anybody out in the storm Thursday night? We were, we were out in it driving around after we had been a little thing at the school. And I was just thinking about this. Did you know that? The, the disciples were in a boat one night and they were out on the Sea of Galilee and a storm like we had Thursday night happened and the lightning and the thunder and all that stuff. Remember, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Do you, anybody remember that? Jesus comes walking on the water and, and they, they're scared to death. And Peter says, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus said, yeah. And Peter said, if it's really you, then you tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, all right, come on. Get out of the boat. But wait a minute, Jesus, there's, there's no, I don't have any skis. And over and over and over, God asked people to do crazy stuff by faith. And God may ask you to walk across the street to your neighbor and share with them about Jesus. You say, God, I could ne- God would never ask me. Sure he will. God could ask me the same thing. God, as a student, God could ask you, I want you to go pour your life into this area of ministry. I want you to invest in your friends. I want you to take a year or two and go be on mission somewhere on the other side of the world. And we think, well, God would never ask us to do that. Yeah, he would. That's what he does. 
He asks us, he gives us these warnings and some of them are negative, but some of them are positive and God speaks into our life. And when God speaks into our life, it's a crisis moment and we got to decide what we're going to do. And when we're deciding what we're going to do when God speaks, just remember that who we worship determines what we say when God speaks. And if you say, or if I say that surely that's never, God would never ask me to do that. I'm not interested in doing that. Then what that says is we don't really worship the God of the Bible. We worship the God of our own imagination. Because the God of the Bible asks us to get out on the edge. The God of the Bible asks us to do things that are crazy. Can you imagine? I mean, think about this. Noah started the boat. He's 480. At 500, the boys are born. And so he's raising three boys. And they're growing up. Now, you students and children, you think you have it hard growing up in this era? We think this is the hardest time ever to grow up as a believer in God, you know, because we've got all this stuff. Could you imagine if your daddy was building an ark? He's building a boat that they'd never seen because there was a flood coming that they'd never had because it was going to rain, which it had never done. Can you imagine going to school? Your daddy's a freak, man. There's no rain. Your daddy's a loser. I mean, I can just imagine. And we think that God would never ask us to do anything that goes against the culture. Well, we shouldn't do this because the culture says this is okay. Well, God would never ask us to to parent different than the culture parents. God would never ask us to live different than those in our culture live. God would never ask us to, to do things different than our friends do. Sure he would. That's what God does. God looks at Noah and says, I want you to be different. I want you to take a risk. I want you to get as far out, you get way out on a limb. I want you to follow me. And so what happens is when God speaks, that's the warning, that's a crisis moment. And what we do determines who we worship. And notice what he did there in in verse 7. It says, by faith Noah and warned about things not yet seen and holy fear built an ark to save his family. He went to work. So the third word is work. Listen, can I just say this? I want you to hear me on this. If our faith is genuine, we heed the warning and in honorable, in, in honor and worship of God, we do what God says. And I need to say this to me, and I need to say this to you this morning. As a believer in Jesus Christ, our faith needs to go to work. When you evaluate your spiritual life, how much spiritual work are you doing? How much ark building is going on in your life? I I go to church. We live, in a, we live in a generation where most people think if we go to church a couple times a month and check that box, we please God. But the Bible says in James, you can look it up, James 2.17 says that faith without works is dead. Listen, God didn't ask Noah to go to church. God said, I want you to get out on the edge and I want you to do something that nobody else is doing. That nobody's ever done. I want you to do something 
that can only be explained by the power and glory of God. And most of us, listen, I, and, and me included, most of us, we, we rarely do anything that can only be explained by the power of God. Right? I mean, what is it in our life spiritually? What is it in your life spiritually? What is it in my life spiritually that's going on that if God doesn't intervene, we're in serious trouble? What spiritual risk are we taking in life? I'm telling you, Noah took a risk. He, that, how risky was that? It had never rained. Man, it had never flooded. He had never seen water like that. But he said, God, you spoke. I'm going to do what you said. But can I just ask you and me this question? What is it that God wants us to do that's risky? Because, see, we're so into being safe and we're so into being comfortable and we're so into God wouldn't expect anything more of us. Y'all, that's just not true. The reason the, the modern church, the reason we're struggling is because we, we're, not, we're not living by faith. So we need to go to work. Listen, when we heed the warning and honor him in worship, then we go to help with the work. I mean, that's what happens. One other word quickly. Let me get to that. Um, notice there, um, it, says, it says in verse 7, he built an ark to save his family. Then listen to this sentence. It says, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let, let me just talk about that a minute. Uh, it's kind of an interesting word because when I first saw that word, I thought, you know, so much in church culture now, people feel like we condemn, you know, because we're not tolerant of this lifestyle or that lifestyle. And, you know, and everybody thinks, well, the church shouldn't be condemning and, and, and all these things. And so when I, I read that with a little bit of hesitation, but I, but I looked up this word and it's kind of interesting because the word condemned uh, means that by his faithfulness, by his faithfulness, Noah pronounced a sentence on the culture. Now, let me translate that for you. What that means is that by his lifestyle... Noah convicted the people in the culture. They looked at his life. In fact, in uh, 1 Peter, it talks about him being a preacher of righteousness. They looked in his life and listened to his voice and were convicted by his life, by the way he lived. Now, let me just drill down here for just a minute. Uh, We've talked about how odd it was for his kids. And I wish we had more time. But imagine with me for just a minute. You're Noah. you got three boys. Everybody says, all their friends, all their schoolmates, all their classmates, all the buddies they run, everybody says, go this way. Except your weird dad who's building this ark, walking by, you know, whatever. Says, no, I want you to go this way. Now imagine with me this scenario. Noah got his boys in that boat. And I, I suspect it's not because 
of what he said. I suspect it was because of how he lived his life. And so the reason they were willing to go against the flow, the reason they were willing to say no to everything in the world, the reason they were willing to do something crazy like their dad was because their, their dad lived out his faith in such a way that they said, I want to follow after him. The world says this, but my dad's faith says this, I'm going to follow him. Now, here's my question for me. And here's my question for you. Are we living our life in such a way to where our kids want to follow us and our God and not follow after the world? Are you living your life? Am I living my life in such a way that my kids, that your kids, that our grandkids, and students, you're saying, but that doesn't include me. Are you living your life in such a way that your friends want to follow your God and say no to the world? That's how Noah went to work. I don't know how it looked. I don't know everything he faced. I just know this. When the rain started falling, his boy says, I'm following my dad and I'm following his God. Now here's the question. When the storm comes in our kid's life, when the storm comes in your friend's life, when the storm comes in our neighbor's life or our coworker's life, when that storm comes, are they going to be willing to follow our God? Is your faith, is my faith, is it so real that the people in our circle are going to follow our God? That's what the win is. The fourth word is the wind. The wind, the wind for Noah was the boys got in the boat and they took their wives with them. As a parent, your win is, is not whether or not your kid gets a scholarship or wins the championship or goes to Harvard or wherever. That's not the win. It's not the, the win's not if they get the first chair in the band. The win's not, not, none of those things are bad. I'm not saying those things are bad. Those things are good, but I'm just saying this. The win for us is that our kids get in a boat. The win, students, the win for you is, is that your friends follow your God. That's what the win is. Because this whole picture, this whole picture about the ark is a picture of salvation. I mean, the, the win, the work we do in life, the thing that you and I should be doing in ministry ought to be moving people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Man, that's what Noah, Noah was sold out to that. He was sold out to that. I mean, the greatest picture of the ark is the picture of deliverance and salvation. And by the way, let me just say this. The, you know, the ark was covered with pitch. The Bible says it was covered with pitch. Did you know the root word for pitch is the same root word in the Hebrew as the word for atonement and forgiveness? And so that whole picture of the ark was, is a picture of forgiveness and salvation. And so here's the thing. What God's looking for in you and me, whether you're a mom, a dad, a student, a child, if you're a believer, what God's looking for you, what's look, what God's looking for in your life and my life is, is faith that works. Genuine, God-honoring, life-changing faith. Is that what you have? 
Is your faith so real your kids are going to follow your God? Is your faith so real that your friends are going to follow your God? Is my faith so real that my neighbors, that the people I hang out with and do life with, are they going to follow my God? See, that's the question. All the other stuff's just part of life. But what matters, are they going to follow our God? Is your faith that real? And, and if it's not, if it's not, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You remember the story, 1983, John Scully quit his post at PepsiCo to become president of Apple Computer. He took a big risk because he left this uh, high-paying, prestigious position with a well-established firm to join the ranks with an unproven little outfit that offered no guarantee, only the excitement of one man's transforming vision. If you've studied the story, you know that Scully says he made the risky move after Apple co-founder, the late Steve Jobs, goaded him with the question, he asked him this question, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? And Scully took the chance to influence the world. And I think it probably could be said that Apple has had an impact on the world, at least a little bit. You have an opportunity to change the world one person at a time. One person at a time. And my question is, is your faith so real and so genuine that people want to follow your God one person at a time? Let's pray together. As we're praying all over the auditorium, can I just ask you, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Because I believe if you've not, I believe if you haven't, I believe this morning God's speaking to you and God's saying to you, my son died on the cross to pay for your sins. And that if you place your faith in my son, he'll give you a brand new life. And so for you, your moment of, your crisis moment is what are you going to do with Jesus? Today. And you got to decide today. You got to decide this morning. You got to decide right now about Christ. Are, are you willing to give your life to Jesus today? And it, it's yes or no. And so I'm just asking would you give your heart to Christ this morning? For a number of you, like me, like I've been for a day or two, or three, you begin to think about your faith this morning. And when you look at your faith, the, the fact of the matter is you're not sure that your kids want to follow your God. Unless you force them to. You're not sure your friends want to follow your God because you're just not sure if your faith is that dynamic. And my question is, what are you going to do about that? What are we going to do? Are we going to grow a faith that will change the world? Are we going to make a decision today? Are we going to draw a line in the sand right now, right here today, and say, starting today, I'm going to live different. I'm going to heed God's warning, and in holy reverence and worship, I'm going to go to work for the glory of God. 
Some of you need to make that decision this morning. Is it risky? Yes, absolutely. Would God ask you to take a risk? Certainly. Jesus took the biggest risk of all. He gave himself unashamedly to die for our sins with no guarantee that any one of us would accept him. And so my question for you this morning is, what are you going to do with what you've heard? Are you going to give your life to Christ today? Are you going to step out on faith today and become a part of our church or become a part of a ministry or give your life to missions? What is God asking you to do today? Father, I pray in these next few minutes as we have a few moments of reflection that you would have your will and your way in every person's heart in every person's life. And when you do, we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it all. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look at me for just a moment. In a moment, we're going to stand together. The band's going to play softly. I want to give you an opportunity to open your heart to Christ. If you'd like someone to help you give your life to Jesus, I'll be here. I'd love to pray with you. Or it might be that you need to make a fresh commitment, maybe even as a family. You need to make your way down and kneel at the steps and just commit to live in a different kind of faith, a, a working faith, a Noah kind of faith. Or it might be that you're here this morning and you've never joined our church. And, and it's risky. It's a risk to walk down and talk to a pastor. That's what God wants you to do. And so I want to give you an opportunity. If God's stirring your heart, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to make a public decision. Jesus. So let's stand together all over the auditorium. As the band plays, if God's leading you to make a public decision, I invite you to come.